1: Welcome to Locked on Barks, I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here for today's episode that is brought to you by RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. And I'm very excited today to have a man that is much smarter than me on the podcast. This has been a long time coming. He is a former director of basketball research with the Bucks. Now, we are all very fortunate that he's got his work over at the Athletic, whether it's riding or on every podcast basically they have i'm sure he's been asked to come on at some point he'll be very familiar to bucks fans and he just told me it's his first time on the podcast that's also exciting Seth Partner, now what's going on how's it going man i'm doing pretty well basketball's back so at least i have something to watch during the days over here in australia and i'm sure you are pretty busy let me ask you this straight off the bat is there anything that has shocked you about the play in the bubble so far
0: Overall, I've been somewhat surprised at how, how good the play has been. I think mm-hmm. we were all sort of expecting a lit to, to be a little more ragged. Um, uh, but obviously, the, the, the guys kept in pretty good shape over the hiatus. And uh, I imagine that there were some kind of captain's practices or something of the like going on, just based on the degree of cohesion that teams seem to pick up very quickly. Um, yeah, no. So I think that's, that's one. Number two is, and I think everyone's really been talking about it is the foul calls. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, I wrote about this earlier this week at the athletic. I'm have a little more on it for tomorrow at the athletic, uh, like the free throw rate is up more than a quarter from the regular season. Um, in, in these games and from people down there, I'm still in Milwaukee. Um, but for from the people who are down there, have speculated to me that it's because it's so quiet in the gym that the refs are just are, are basically hearing a lot of the incidental contact they let go. And so they hear it. So they notice it. So they call it. And that's why we're getting basically 10 more free throws a game, 10, 11 more free throws a game um, in these, in these seating games than than during the regular season or than during the pre-shutdown part of the season.
1: Yeah. It's not good for game time. Those who no. are in favor of a quick game, I think I didn't see this game. Did Dallas have? Uh, was it fifty free throw attempts? Fifty,
0: yeah, that's a lot. And that was and that was uh, that was uh, uh, yesterday, uh, Tuesday. Yeah, um, and that was actually the the overall even with that game was the the lowest overall free throw rate game of the restart or day of the restart. Um, so despite that, it was it was still not up by as much from the the normal the I, the, the nomenclature yeah. of what we call the, <laughs> the regular season, the time before whatever. Um,
1: not only not only am I confused when I'm talking about the, the, the pre, I want to call it the pre-season, the pre-pre-season, regular season. Yeah. And now I'm also just thrown off by day basketball on weekdays. So I never remember what day it is. I, I just can't figure out yeah. what's happening right now.
0: It's, I mean, like also basketball that counts in July yes, and exactly. now August is weird. Like it's, it. that's part of what gives it sort of a summer league feel is just like the your your body is sort of it's warm outside must be summer league
1: (laughs) all right Uh, one thing we're going to get to the bucks now and the one thing i have to ask you though after the brooklyn game which was one that you throw in the trash and never go back and look at that game but the thing that made me laugh so much and i need to know whether it made you laugh as much as it did me from someone that's been in the inner sanctum they know how these teams look at the opposition and study the opposition. What kind of tips could a team give another team poolside in the bubble? Please tell me that this was as funny to you as it was to me. Or maybe that's, annoying. What, what to No, do
0: it's not annoying. It's just, it's it, it's funny. I mean, you, I'm sure they talked about, hey, you're going to get open threes.
1: And, <laughs> exactly. But
0: I mean, it, it's not like that's the, you know, that that's not the first or second thing on the scouting report to begin with. So, but, you know, you... You run into these guys, You they say, hey, you're going to get open threes. You get open threes, you make enough of them, and you win a game that you don't think you're going to. It's like, yeah, they told us we were going to get open threes, and it worked. So, you know, it's it's. I'm sure it happened, um, It's, but it's also, it's, you know, correlation does not prove causation.
1: So that Houston game was interesting, though, and there's such a fascinating case. I mean, because you aren't going to see too many teams like that. So I, I still don't think it's a game that you ignore and say, well, we won't see them to the finals, maybe if you think they're going to get there anyway. But 48 minutes of this small ball, they did go, as they do, as Houston do. They shot uh, 61 three-point attempts. After the game, it was interesting to talk to, to Bud and the players. And to a tee, they all said, we're very happy with the defense. Is exactly what we wanted to do. Force the ball out of uh, Harden and Westbrook's hand. Let the other guys shoot. Players that weren't, those two, shot four, uh, 34% from three. So maybe if you look at the sheet, they'll say, okay, this is what we expected. Make the other guys Shoot, But how did you look at that game, and do you, are you buying the fact that that is the defensive plan and should be the defensive plan against a team like that? So
0: Houston has been a team that is very hard to evaluate your defense against from a statistical standpoint um, just because their shot decisions are so much more aggressive than any other team in the league. That you know, if you're you, you make closeouts and rotations and what have you, that any other team in the league is going to drive the closeout or you know swing to the next option or do something else, Houston's just going to launch. Um, and so it's kind of hard to really get a handle on, hey, was that did we close out well enough? And they just made some shots. Did they not make shots? Did did we not close out well enough? And that's why they took shots. Um, because their decision making is so different than, than really any other team out there. Um, so, and especially in this kind of setting where um, I'm not sure how kind of keyed in on winning every game the Bucks are or should be right now. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how much one, one takes from that.
1: So what about from the broader perspective then with the Bucks' defense? I mean, we know how much of a focus they have on, on the paint and protecting the paint. That game, again, it's a one-off, but the Rockets had 18 points in the paint, uh, clearly a very low number. But this has been a theme right throughout the season. The Bucs are <laughs> off the charts when it comes to paint defense. Have they, and is it possible that they have overemphasized the importance of paint defense? I mean, how do you look at the Bucs' defense as a whole in a playoff setting? Because, sure, against a lot of regular season teams, you're going to get away with that, and you're just going to win. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is, uh, and, and Eric Name and I, a uh, friend of the program, obviously, Eric Name and I uh, had a discussion about this last week uh, at, at, at our day job. And um, if you are going to look at what a potential vulnerability is, yeah, that's it. Um, it's if you kind of unadjusted go the same strategy that works against 20 29 other teams across an, uh, a regular season schedule and you try to employ that against a high quality opponent in a seven game series. Yeah. You're going to get exploited. Um, so it's, it's important to figure out how that strategy has to be adjusted as you're facing teams who are scheming to deal with that. Um, and whether that's just being aggressive shooting, uh, um, uh, you know, shooting pull-up threes or if it's doing kind of the, uh, the, the Daniel Tice style kind of uh, seal screen that, that, that gives the ball handler a clean line to the basket. Um, or, uh, and also just playing against better players. Um, I, I think that, yeah, you do have to be concerned that, that you make those adjustments correctly, but that's what playoff
1: basketball is. All right, let me jump in now and talk a little bit more about our show sponsor for today, rockauto.com. They're a family business. They're serving auto parts customers online and they've been doing so for 20 plus years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to towel lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. They're the same for the professionals as a do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? And let's be honest, a lot of us are hanging around at home. You've got plenty of time to work on the car. Just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. That's locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com It was interesting you talk about those, uh, that seal screen. I saw Robin Lopez got called for one of those in the Brooklyn game and he just, I mean, he was pissed the whole Brooklyn game, but he was so frustrated and I feel like he must have been saying, are you kidding me? Like, this is literally <laughs> what we deal with every single game. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, but I, I think honestly, the like the, the the bigger problem is is that, yeah, against the things that work against the average players don't always work right. against the best players, but, that's the same problem that every team kind of deals with. You
1: know? it, it, it does still seem to me, and this is what I always come back to, I mean, obviously, you're going to be riding some chance that a team is going to get hot. I mean, you're not going to be able to avoid that. This is possible in 2020. The one sure thing that you can do is limit a team at the free throw line and limit them getting layups and dunks. And I, I think ultimately, I mean, is this basically just, the Buds just said, listen, the one thing we can control is this. We have Brook Lopez, we have Giannis, we have Robin Lopez. We have a great... Rim protecting team that stick with what we know. I think the concern from Bucks fans is obviously the lack of adjustment during these red hot periods from other teams. Have you seen anything that would lead you to believe that uh, I guess a nightmare scenario would happen in the postseason and the Bucks would adjust? Because again, we know the Bucks have, have dominated most teams and played their cards pretty close to their chest.
0: Yeah, no, I think that that you don't really have a good sense of what the adjustments will be until it's time to make those. I think, I think just his, his, his sort of his track record and pedigree. And certainly my experience with him is that in a regular season setting, it's a, let's do what we do the best and, and worry about that. And then obviously, you know, you just know that that, that's a, that there's a, there's a flip of kind of strategy when you go to the playoffs and you're playing, you know, the same team four to seven
1: straight times. So I think we have seen a change offensively, particularly in relation to Brook Lopez. I want to get to that a little bit. But first, I have read uh, your stories throughout the season, particularly in relation to Brook Lopez and Defensive Player of the Year. For those that haven't caught that, why are you one of the leaders for Brook Lopez Defensive Player of the Year? Because you know there's still people out there that don't watch the Bucs and just uh, cannot believe that this is a possibility. Okay, so
0: there's a lot of teams that are playing this drop coverage now. Uh not not every one of them has a player who's put up pop, probably the single best rim protection season since we have the the, the tracking data to to fully measure it. Um, does not anchor a defense that is the best paint protecting defense of certainly the play by player. We have reasonably good play by play data going back to '96 uh, or '97, depending on on whether you want to use the first years or not. Um, the the Bucks have the the by just streets, especially relative to the league, the best paint defense over that over that time period. Um, and I I think that that both his verticality and something that he actually improved on from this year to last year. Um, it's gonna sound weird, but his patience mm-hmm. um, as a backline defender. Um, has really just been, been a key to that. Yeah, you, like Giannis has been all defense level and, and the point of attack defense of Eric Bledsoe, Dante DiVincenzo, has been super important also. And like all, you know, you don't have a defense that good without a bunch of people contributing. But I think it just doesn't work if you don't have that, that wall. Protects the, the, the interior in such a way that, that guys elsewhere are comfortable um, not having to, you know, fly down into the paint, and to be able to recover to the corners, especially, um, and at least, you know, where possible, uh, run better shooters off the arc. So I think that's that's a big one. And what I and and if I can you know, extend my
1: comments, please. Um,
0: <laughs> um, what I mean, what I mean by by Brook Lopez's patience is you see a lot of kind of shot blockers will go at a ball handler to really like, I'm going to block this shot. I'm going to, and what happens is they open themselves off to like easy dump offs, offensive rebounds, stuff like that. Uh, The flip side is, and the, the, the archetype of this was Tim Duncan would find a way to kind of hang back, uh, keep his hands up and then make the, make the ball handler commit and then attack the ball so that there was no easy decision to make as far as a shot pass or anything like that. And then he was in a position to both contest the shot, box out, get the rebound. Brook has, has gotten so good at like giving space and then attacking the ball when it's time this year. Um, that's really a, a big part of why the, the Bucs, even though he is not a great, great rebounder on an individual basis, the Bucks are a great rebounding team with him on the floor.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, that's that's a really fascinating point that you made because there's so many times when I'm watching the Bucs where Brook Lopez will get a block and I'll just be like, that was just, that shot attempt was embarrassing. Why did that guy even try that? But I think you're right because they get in that position and they're like, well, I didn't really know what else I'm supposed to do now. There's not another good option. I'm going to try and get this shot up and Brook Lopez is standing right there. It's interesting you spoke about the help from the corners as well because I, I do think, and this is not the Jason Kidd Bucks. I mean, when people talk about giving up corner threes, Milwaukee are actually kind of in the middle of the pack. They give up 8.3 per game. Toronto, and this is an interesting number, I mean, they give up a stack. I mean, they they lead the league by a long way. They give up nearly 13 per game. It's above the break threes that the Bucs are giving up again. So I think defensively, everything you've just said comes into play there.
0: Yeah, and that's you know that, that's a that's a worry for Toronto. And and Toronto, like kind of the things I said earlier about um you know, the Bucks having some worries as the level of competition increases. Um, I think that, that, that holds several fold for the Raptors who've had an amazing season. And I think Nick nurse is on the very, on the short list of, of very best coaches in the NBA, but just like, uh, they've kind of struggled against the better teams. And, and it's because the kind of stuff that you can sort of get away with against, you know, the average teams you get punished by the good teams for, and, that's why they're the good teams.
1: So, you, I mean, we may as well roll into this now. You just spoke about the Raptors. Um, there's a bunch of teams. Uh, I think the Bucs have been head and shoulders above everyone. And then there's a close group of teams that have been competitive. And it's up to you or we can get your thoughts on Philadelphia as we roll here. But as we move into the, the, the playoffs, what, what matchups are advantageous do you see from a numbers perspective from the Bucs or what you're watching during the game? And what matchup, if there is one, should they be a little bit wary of?
0: So the the uh, it's funny because I know how much how much Bucks fandom hates them, um, <laughs> and I hear it all the time. But you do when you look at everyone else in the Eastern Conference. There's one team that has best player on the floor equity against the Bucs, uh-huh. and that's Philadelphia.
1: Yep.
0: And that's like the only guy who, on a given night, and certainly four times in seven nights or seven games, could plausibly outplay Giannis in in a series is beat and just because of that you have to kind of give them a, a puncher's chance and they've been a mess all season and Ben Simmons had a little tweak tonight and there's never-ending drama there but <laughs> like you know at the same time that's the you know that's the that's the thing you, you would worry about like I think Toronto is the second best team I think that they have some They've shown that they have the ability to scheme for how the Bucks want to play, at least defensively. Whether or not they have the offensive firepower to for it to matter this year, without kind of Kawhi's shot making, um, that's a question. Um, I don't. I don't really believe in Boston. Um, And I uh, similarly, I think Miami is. Is I feel a little bit almost like a. Um, a proto version of what, what the Raptors are. And so all the same things apply just with even, even sort of greater force. Um, with the possible exception that Duncan Robinson could need <laughs> seven threes and night. eight. <laughs> so, I mean, if we're, if we're, I mean, I think you'd be silly to say that the Bucks are not the favorite and not just the most likely team, but the, the more than 50% favorite to come out of the East. Um, but there are, are, there are especially getting to the second round, I don't think they're, those series are gimmies. I think they're, they're favorites, but there's danger.
1: All right, let's flip to the offense a little bit. And I don't think we need to touch on the sixes. You sort of hinted there, we know, with Embiid, Simmons. I mean, defensively, they have the tools. There's no doubt about that. And I think that's why uh, they are, again, as you said, despite how much of a mess they have been. Now, you're Coming into a series, you would be a little bit anxious about the, the results right there. But what about Miami? Because the Heat are a team that have beaten the Bucks twice. Now, I mean, listen, how much you want to take into that is, is completely up to you. The first game earlier in the season uh, was, it feels like, a decade ago. What do they have defensively for the Bucs? Now, l- let's not go national TV. Well, I know you won't, but let's not go national TV style here and say they have the Giannis stopper in Bam Adebayo. But they're a unique defensive team, and Bam is certainly an, an interesting defensive player and unique and a guy that simply not every other team has. So what do you see from Miami defensively that could give the Bucs troubles, if anything?
0: Well, they, the, uh, Miami plays zone more than any other, any other team in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tur- like Toronto switches their defenses a lot, but in terms of just playing a zone, just sitting in a zone, Miami does that a lot. And for a team like the Bucs that outside of basically – uh, in, in the guys you know are going to be on the floor in a playoff setting outside of Chris Middleton, it's a pretty average collection of shooters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, w- w- one way to get a team out of a zone is to shoot them out. Um, the Bucks are capable of going cold with the, the guys who are going to be taking those shots. Um, you know, George Hill hasn't shot the ball nearly as well in the, the restart as he, you know, did when he couldn't feel his face for – Four straight months in the in the regular season, um, I, you wonder how much Kyle Corver would is, is going to be able to be on the floor in a playoff scenario. Um, so that means like it's it's Middleton and hope other people make some shots. Um, and offensively, that 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 that's probably a worry for the for the Bucks. I think. I mean, I wrote about this when was doing the the you know the twenty two teams twenty two numbers preview of all the teams in the restart um uh last year in the playoffs eric bledsoe and and brooke lopez combined to shoot something like 27 percent from the three-point line for for the entire playoff run um and given how important they are to the defense like that's a problem and it's especially a problem against the team that's going to play a lot of zone
1: yeah, I think it was. it's actually kind of scary to look back. I was looking at the playoff numbers from last year and everyone looks at Brook Lopez's shooting this season. And you think of him as that guy that's been hovering around the mid-30s for the last few years, but you're right. I mean, he's basically been under that 30% mark since the start of the playoffs last year. But when you look at different wrinkles to this Bucks offense, they have posted up Brook a little bit more than they did last season. I think this is something that... Uh, I, I would like to think that they went into the season planning to do either way, but uh, certainly Brook Lopez's shooting struggles may have exaggerated this a little bit. See, at the moment, or the last time I looked, he was at 1.07 points per possession in post-up scenarios. That's in the 86th percentile. Is this something the Bucs can lean on in the postseason, and how have you seen this added into their offense this
0: year? Uh, I think that is a that is an excellent weapon. Um it's sort of one of the conundrums of the stretch big tends to be they just turn into a slow, <laughs> small forward um, in many cases, uh, if, uh, unless, you can, unless you're a guy who can punish a mismatch. And, uh, you know, Brooke used to be a 20-point-a-game scorer, and he can still do some things in the paint. So he does keep you from well. If they're going to stick Brooke Lopez out there and he's going to going to stand at the arc, we'll stick a you know we'll we'll stick a small forward on him and we'll be fine. Um, you can't really do that if they're going to oh well he's got a six seven guy on him. Let's just run him straight into the post. Um, now against like maybe against Houston, where all of their six five and all of their six seven and under guys are also really good post defenders, yeah. um, that that might not be. But Houston is pretty unique in terms of the kind of just the 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 strength of their their wing players. Like James Harden is a really good post defender. Like PJ Tucker is a really good post defender. Um the, so you, it's not a team where you can necessarily just, oh, he's got a small guy on him, run down to the post, stick your hand up, we'll throw you the ball and get something out of it. But like if Boston tries to guard him with Jalen Brown, I I think you can. You can have some you can do something
1: with that yeah and I think Boston is a really interesting matchup I've said they're a team that uh, you know not to the extent of Houston, but they will play small and they will force you into some different lineups, particularly when they play Haywood Brown and Tatum in, in the same, in the same lineup, which we've seen more and more through the year so I think that it's something that again we've seen a little more, and I think one thing that Buck's fans always point to and we've seen it in the post-game press conferences with bud a little bit over the last few games the chris milton Giannis pick and roll we know it's been basically money all season long the bucks have gone to it in clutch situations a little bit more than they have in the past what other wrinkles does this team have i mean what other stuff would you like to see what can they try and what is their plan b because i think this is the concern you already touched on it. the bucks can go cold overall they're not exactly a team of sharpshooters there is some concern if you're not hitting threes what else are you doing
0: yeah, I have. I, I've kind of always liked when they get into some, some, uh, some maybe some elbow action, some, some dribble handoff stuff to get the ball to guys who are good with the ball and not great shooters. Whether it's Bledsoe or Giannis, get them the ball on the move a little bit. Um, and I think that that's, that that doing stuff like that, attacking from kind of angles rather than straight down the middle, um, is something that that I often like to see. Um, so that, that's one, um, you know, making sure that they, they play with some, some tempo off, off of their defense is, is, is always, always nice, but everyone always says that, but um, you know, that for, especially if they're going through stretches where the half court offense can get a little sticky um, just increasing the tempo that way a little bit, you know, might, might be helpful. Um, and th- those are the two main ones it Just just, just, I, I don't love it when they just kind of go, Almost one four low uh, with Giannis at the top. I don't. I don't think that's their best look because I think that, that they have. They don't have any lineups where there aren't guys you can, you know, just kind. You can kind of leave or kind of play. Prove it
1: with. So just before we wrap this up, I, I did say something and I, was, I must admit it was uh, early morning for you guys. So I was about to go to sleep and I, sort of, I just sort of caught it. I think it was Stein. I think it might have been Mark Stein's newsletter where he said that there was, uh, it was noticeable that the Bucks came into this bubble scenario more relaxed than other teams in terms of practice, in terms of easing their guys into it. You sort of already hinted the fact that, I mean, the, the Bucks aren't going to be showing all their cards and going hell for leather in these seeding games when there isn't a lot to play for. What would you be, what are you looking for the box to get out of the next few games? Yeah. Outside of good health. Let's say that's, that's number one amongst all things.
0: I think, I think it's, I think it's maintaining reps and sharpness. I think that's, that's, you know, maintaining reps and sharpness and, and maybe even, uh, not putting stuff on tape. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you may have some wrinkles, you know, dreamed up, um, do you want to practice them in game conditions, and then maybe, oh, here's something they're going to try, and let, mm-hmm. us, let let a possible playoff prep, prep for them, or do you want to have it be something that you kind of keep in your bag for practice and bring it out, you know, when the time is right? Um, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to that, um, but uh, probably seems like they're leaning more towards tight to the vest on
1: that. Yeah, it does. Uh, let's just say the bud to me has not seemed overly stressed out, uh, in, in the post game thus far. I don't feel that they are, you know, desperate for wins and losses at this point, even though they probably want it, would want to clean up the turnovers a little bit, I would say that's been yeah. one thing that stood out well, a little bit. So
0: there's also, I mean, it's a, the, the, this is, you know, this is a, a four month, you know, yeah, this is a four month deployment basically. Um, So for a team and I think the Clippers have a little bit of this also for a team that is, you know, planning to be there a while, like there's, you know, there's, there's no point in, uh, in, in, you know, burning through all your supplies in the, in, you know, in, in the first week, you know, save some s'mores for, for (laughs) next weekend. (laughs) Yeah, we don't do have to. Do you have s'mores? And all, is, is s'mores a particular American thing, or is it something? Yeah,
1: it is, sense? and I remember the first time I was told someone was talking about that, and I just I was with a bunch of American people, so I just was like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I googled it later on to figure out what the hell they were actually talking about. But you now you had one. No, I haven't. Okay, well, I might be back. I mean, we we can't no. guarantee it. But I I you, might... <laughs> would
0: you not have graham crackers?
1: No, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what? Seriously. I don't know what you're talking about. What'd you, what'd you call them?
0: S'mores? Graham crackers?
1: No, I I don't know. Oh, wow. Okay. That's you guys, you guys are crazy. Always crazy.
0: Yeah. Yes. Both are true. (laughs) Well,
1: I appreciate not only you coming on, but I appreciate just uh, for the listeners. Seth's got a lovely, background of the uh the milwaukee lakefront right now i can see myself uh you know in summer it's it's warm over there running along the lakefront walking along the lakefront it seems like a dream you see the art museum there yeah beautiful well seth i guess you've got a bunch of more basketball to watch today or a bunch more work to do both (laughs) (laughs) it's a typical day a typical day in august huh
0: yeah exactly typical typical day in august 2020
1: well, I honestly had no idea that this was the first time you're on the pod, but I guess it makes sense when you're working with the Bucs. you won't jump in on lockdown Bucks to talk talk through uh, Bucks offense and defense. But uh, I got onto you pretty late, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely, we'll be back tomorrow, like we said yesterday. Bucks, I believe it's a three p.m. Central tip. I don't know; I can't keep track of anything. I think it's six a.m. over my way on Friday, so it must be Thursday for you guys. Frank will be back. We'll be doing a post-game pod after that one. We'll look forward to that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you guys tomorrow.